Welcome to Tech Leaders Hub, where we interview technical managers to ask them about their winning strategies, lessons learned, and actionable advice for other leaders. I'm your host, Jakub Greitzar. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to Tech Leaders Hub. We are coming to you live, unless you're watching the recording, of course. But anyway, welcome to Tech Leaders Hub. My guest today is Soren Bjornbo Engel, Head of Engineering at Linkfire. Soren, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. Um, currently at my last week of, uh, of a free week-long summer vacation, so... Uh, have been enjoying relaxing time with my family, been able to do a lot of these projects you never get to do on a daily basis. And then in the midst of this heat wave that we have coming across Europe, um, I'm finally able to catch a bit of a cooler weather these days. So that's that's pretty good. But apart from that, I'm just like very super excited to be spending the next hour together with you and everyone tuning in for today or listening in, obviously, later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm really excited about that as well, especially since today we're starting like a whole streak of Tech Leaders Hub sessions. We're doing three in three days. Yours is the first and tomorrow and tomorrow we're having another one and the day after another one. But that is in the future. For now, dear watchers and listeners, in my name and Soren's welcome to Tech Leaders Hub. Um, Soren, I wanted to ask you, you know, as people are still kind of joining in, let's give them a few minutes before we get right into the topic uh, for today, which is about, you know, changing the thinking of an entire engineering organization, which I'm very excited to talk about. I wanted to ask you, who do you hope is tuning in and who do you think will benefit the most from listening to this particular conversation? Uh, that's a good question. So I think, Essentially, I think the topic can kind of span from everyone sitting being affected by a change in the company. So that would be, you know, well, on my end, the engineers uh, uh, at all levels. Um, I would also say it very much affects uh, everyone who's leading or taking an active part in the change uh, as sort of the the bearers of the of the change. So that would be, you know, uh, other leaders uh, tasked with this effort, uh, your managers, people who are especially looking after other people or even technical leaders, if you will, who are supposed to come come in and you know argue for why a certain change has to happen and be able to kind of steer that in the right course. So I think it can kind of span a bit of a broad spectrum, if you will. Yeah, right. It's not just about how to actually enact this change, but maybe even how to react to it, how to navigate the change, uh, no matter your position. Exactly. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so that means a lot of people tuning in will get some value or a lot of value from uh, this session. Uh, Soren, you mentioned you uh, listened to some of the previous episodes, so you know what's coming next. I'm going to ask you the traditional question, which is, what is your number one tip for tech leaders? All right, yeah, nah, I, I kind of had that coming. <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome. So um, I've been thinking a bit about it also in terms of what we'll be discussing today. And I think one of the things, and this might come out as a little bit of a broken record to some maybe, but um, I, I tend to really advocate for saying there is not really that silver bullet. It doesn't exist. It's it's a phantom. Um, I think it, 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 it comes out in a way that it doesn't, it doesn't really exist when it comes to finding a solution to the problems we often have to solve inside our industry. And it doesn't come out in the way that we want to be able to organize around and be able to deliver on those solutions and definitely and i would say even more especially it, it doesn't really hold true when it comes to you know making anything true for those people that we we end up putting into that environment that we want to have all of this happen within mm -hmm. so 
my tip here would be that while you might have some ideas or you know some experience in the past that you can lean towards, which you always do, by the way, uh, on how to approach a certain scenario, I would always say that you should carefully assess the challenge that you have to solve um, and then evaluate all open options and keeping in mind that you should keep all options open and then decide right. afterwards which one is the best one that solves the problem you have to get solved. Um, and obviously, this is also true when it comes to driving a change management effort, which, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking much more about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so thank you for sharing that tip. You know, what this brings to my mind is I think some people fall into the trap of they manage to make something work at a previous organization, like, you know, a strategy or you know, maybe they, they manage to change and then they go into a new organization trying to do the same. And like you said, there's no silver bullet, like it doesn't fit uh, exactly the, the, the new context. And you have to, even though you, you think you found something that works, you need to find something that works for this particular case. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, precisely. I think something I've at least seen is that, like you say, I mean, you should not always shoehorn everything in, right? Just because it works in one mm -hmm. case, you don't need to make it work in the same case in a different company, especially also when it comes to the people side of things, because as you probably know, within companies, I mean, like there are always a different culture, different people mm -hmm. uh, who might react mm -hmm. to this differently. One thing is the software solution that you think might be fitting. Um, and for some of these things, yes, there are best practices that you can adopt and, and implement. But yeah, you should just always be careful not trying to pigeonhole yourself up in, in some way and say, this is the only way of doing things, because then you will probably be looking for more trouble than, than you're interested in at the end of the day. Exactly. So it's almost like you have to meet the organization halfway between kind of your vision, uh, your previous experience and what the culture is actually like at the, at the new place. So thank you so much for the tip. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, you know, watchers and listeners, remember, if you have any questions about this or anything else, Soren says, leave them in the comments. And I should say the QA is continuous, so you don't have to wait for the end of the session to ask your questions, just so you know. Uh, Meanwhile, let's go a little bit then into your background, Soren. I wanted to ask you, you know, about the work that you've done either for Linkfire or previous organizations. What is it about your background that kind of connects to the conversation that we've got here at, at hand? You know, some if we're talking change management, obviously it might be about the changes kind of uh, in your past, but you know, anything that seems relevant, uh, I'm sure the watchers and listeners would love to hear about. Oh, that's a good, that's good that's a good question so i think probably how i can tie this back because i also remember when we were brainstorming different topics and i i brought this up it's obviously because it's something that resonates quite well with both something i i find quite interesting to to do uh in places i work is to kind of you know be part of making changes that hopefully at the end of the day make people's lives feel a little bit better than where mm -hmm. they were originally um, and obviously also because I've had some some experiences in my own career where I've both been, I would probably say sitting at both sides of the table, both being a, uh, well, some would probably call it a victim of somebody's uh, <laughs> endeavor to make a change. Um, okay. And also sitting at the end of the, uh, of the steering wheel, being the person who was actually tasked to do a larger piece of the change, um, which is uh, where you find yourself somehow always thinking, that you were an ungrateful um, person when somebody else was trying to do that with you because you were yeah. not seeing how big an effort it actually is. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's that's um, yes, so yeah, I think that's probably where I'm coming from with this, really.
Okay. And for the people who might be hearing of Blinkfire, for example, for the first time, do you want to say you know a few words about uh, the organization you're in right now and what you're doing there? I mean, head of engineering, obviously, but that can mean a lot of different things, right? It, it can. I mean, like the titles are quite inflated these days. So it's, it's more about what you actually do than, than what your title is, really. Um, but sure, I can I can just share a few words on what we do and um, and obviously what I, what my stake in is, is all of this. So, um, I mean, so so Linkfire is, is basically um, on a mission to empower entertainment discovery everywhere. So in short, that means that we optimize and drive streams. We increase ticket sales and recommend audio content to billions of fans and listeners on a global scale. So, and one of the things we have here is our uh, SaaS marketing platform that basically transforms music marketing. And now we are on this this journey to uh, to build a global a global recommendation network for audio entertainment discovery to connect even more fans and listeners to the content they love. So I would say if we look at our customers, we have customers and partners that are including most of the artists that you would find on Billboard's annual, on annual Hot 100. So that's a chart that ranks the best performing singles in the US. Um, we work with all the major record labels, uh, music labels you have out there, um, global audio and music streaming services, and obviously also social media apps and media publishers. So uh, okay. a bit of a, a pretty well-rounded um, uh, yeah, product suite, if you will. Um, in terms of my role um, as the head of engineering, um, I am currently accountable and responsible, obviously, for the engineering organization's health, growth, and delivery. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, I work quite closely with our executive team to agree on the goals and priorities we have as a business. And then I work even closer with my engineering organization in order to actually deliver on those and realize those ideas. Mm -hmm. um, then I'm obviously also being responsible for building a highly efficient engineering organization. And I make sure that our key projects are structured well and delivered on time, all of that. Um, and then I also make sure that my teams, they can do their best to deliver the best results in a fast-paced environment where my focus is constantly to have uh, continuous improvement to make sure that we do things as smart as possible as we can, but also making sure that we have fun while doing it. Um, that's that's really my yeah. philosophy. Yeah, uh, I, I like that last part, having fun while doing it. A lot of people might kind of neglect to include that, but I think that's kind of the the, the oil that really greases the engine sometimes, you know? Indeed. I think it's uh, it, it's quite often that, you know, you you see that some 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 mindset can be that you just want to rush to reach the goal. But then, I mean, mm. my view on that is that, I mean, obviously the goal is, is quite important, but the journey is even more important because if you, you, I mean, if you don't have a good run reaching the goal, then I mean, yeah, you'll probably not have that many runs to reach the goals in the longer run, right? Yeah. And I wanted to also mention about the previous part about Linkfire. When we were having the initial conversation before this, one thing that kind of kind of got me excited about Linkfire is that it's a it's an app, a product that I myself might end up using one day. I play with a band and it seems like you, you guys have this um this solution where you can, you know, hype up songs before they go out. It's like it's like a catalog of links, like for uh, uh, for your uh, for your band, for example, to kind of build that hype before something releases, right? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's that's part of probably what you've seen. If you go into our into linkfi.com and you can sort of see a, a demo of our product, that's the that's typically the marketing platform you would see here where like say Jacob, you you have the um you have the entire, let's say uh, life cycle around, you know, um getting a release out into your fans, right? Where you can schedule everything you can set up an entire campaign which streaming services you want to get it out to um and then actually monitor how's the traction going across these different streams um and stuff like that so probably um if you go into many of the artist names on something like instagram and stuff like that um a lot of the links that you can see that is kind of leading you over to the music um is uh, is, is typically actually um coming from our platform it's a link fire link. I love that. <laughs> and I, I think that makes it really concrete in the in the listeners' minds there. And anything that supports, you know, the music industry or you know independent artists is something I wholly support. So <laughs> all right. So that's about Linkfire. Obviously, you can go to linkfire.com to find out more. Not now, though. We're still proceeding <laughs> with our session for now. Let's get right into it then. Let's talk about change management and the topic that we have uh, for our session today. I think it would be good to maybe start with laying a little bit of the groundwork about of, of what we're going to be talking about here. So when you say change management, which is, I think, a, a term that can be very broadly understood. So what do we mean in the context of this conversation when we say change management? Got it. No, I think that's a really good starting point. So let me try and see how I can sort of angle into it because I have a similar, similar sort of like... Uh, way of structuring it in my mind. So um, I think the way I would probably start off from saying it is that, you know, um, when I mean change management, it's really about, you know, um, changing the way that people are thinking and get the support and then further on, you know, championing that idea and then get it, get it actually implemented. Um, you can also say, how do you get people to support an idea, which in some cases, you're the only person who are able to see that this is the right way forward. That's mm -hmm. that's another way of viewing it really, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to me, I think maybe the first thing to say here is that um, change is really hard. It's not an easy thing. It's actually damn hard if you think about it because mostly it, it goes all the way back into how we as humans are DNA coded because we are creatures of mm -hmm. habit. Nobody really likes to change at the end of the day, right? If I told you, yeah, look, you know, tomorrow you have to run to work instead of taking the bus because that's just the way it is, you'd probably also be scratching your head saying, well, are you sure that, that has to happen? But I don't have any running shoes, you know? <laughs> exactly, right? Um, and I think it's, it's interesting in, in technology because as a matter of fact, there's actually, I mean, like, and quite often what you want to have here is that there's probably a new technology coming in or something you want to try. And then, you know, technology is there to aid us in our day-to-day -day basis. And then we, as people who are working with technology, should find it easy or even, you know, like lucrative to actually take on new technology and, and work with it, you would imagine, right? But mm. as a matter of fact, a lot of technology change initiatives actually fail also in tech. And that's typically, in my view, because... Often the goals of why you want to introduce a change are not very well defined. They might also be very uh, poorly communicated to the people who might be affected by this. And then the consequence here is really that it ends up confusing and frustrates your employees. Um, so the outcome of that is really that instead of having an adoption, 
you end up having resistance. And then resistance ultimately leads to misalignment across your own team, peer teams, whole departments, and then obviously the entire company at the end. And then you end up having this situation where that seed you wanted to plant actually ends up having a lot of competing interest without really having a common goal. Um, so, right. And instead of, to me, it feels like instead of kind of going from one equilibrium that kind of works to going to another that's, you know, much better and also works, you end up in this kind of halfway point where, you know, in, in my own experiences, it's been like, you know, half the organization implemented the change, the half is, uh, the other half is already on the old, uh, is still on the old system, for example, and that can be really frustrating. So I want to get into all of these issues a little bit later. Uh, but still trying to kind of define change management, I think uh, you definitely gave us kind of a general idea. But, you know, specifically in the context of technical leadership, what do you think are kind of the classic examples of, of changes that were, that would kind of prompt this change management process? What are some typical you know, cases? I think a really good example of that could be, I mean, I actually have it, have, have, have thought about this as well, is that... Um, some years back when microservices was the hot thing that kind of came about as a disruptive uh, change in the way we were envisioning how we would build uh, our technologies or our systems that we would ship, um, the technology alone made a lot of promises in terms of what you could gain. Um, and indeed, today it is a very well adopted, I think, yeah, I would even probably go to the length of saying the standard of how you would probably implement things in one shape or the mm -hmm. other. But I think one of the things that was maybe forgotten, and this is this is just one example of a technology change, but is that technology and the people using it and the way they're using it is really something that goes hand in hand. Um, so, so often what I've seen is that when you want to introduce a new change as a technology that you bring in, you really have to make sure that you bring people on board and you understand the consequences of what that technology might have of an impact on the people being affected by that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that really brings to my mind the conversation that we had you know, before the stream when we were brainstorming kind of the topic to bring up. There was one thing that you said during that conversation that I wanted to kind of unpack here. You mentioned, because you know, as I understand it from the perspective of a person that's not maybe technical but speaks with a lot of technical people, is that microservices is an opposite approach to having a monolithic structure. Uh, and specifically what you mentioned, you know, stepping outside of the, you know, the tech part for, for a moment, is that there aren't just monolithic systems in terms of code, there are also monolithic teams. And it's kind of the team also reflects the kind of the, the code in that sense. So can you, I think a lot of the listeners may have heard of monolithic code, but what about monolithic teams? What does that mean? And because I feel like that's kind of the, the starting point of this change. So could you try and define that? Yeah, no, that's absolutely. So I think um, if we go a bit back in time, and probably there are still some companies who are still very much in this mode. Um, uh, I think most companies often start out at a certain point being a very small company, uh, you know, few people who start building something. It's one team, it's one product, it's one code base, right? As you start to evolve at a certain point, you kind of, you know, you build on top of the product, it gets bigger and bigger. And then the team obviously also grows and gets bigger because you are successful, hopefully, and then you start growing. Then um, 
at a certain point, you kind of find yourself maybe having not so much wiggle room to make changes because making a change in one place might actually make a change in another place. And um, a lot of that ties back to how the teams have originally been chatting and working as a team because that one team is still seeing themselves as one team. Although you try to maybe say, right, instead of having one big team of maybe 20 engineers and specialists across that field, then you maybe slice them up into three, you know, fictive teams that are not really teams because they are just, you know, like logically grouped to work on something, but they still all need to communicate back and forth. And that's what you will end up ultimately seeing in um, in the way that the, the code is being built. And that also comes fr- comes um, comes out in a different way when it comes to how you actually deliver your code because everyone has to work in alignment when it comes to if you have to ship the feature, you need to check with, you know, like John from this team, Pete from the other team, like, can we give a go for this? Or is anything still there? Um, and then it becomes clunky. And then obviously, you know, you don't, you're not so nimble and you can't really move fast, right? Um, and this is something that was very true when this concept of microservices came in again, which at that point wasn't quite new in the sense that, I mean, it was a different take on building a distributed system, but it was a different take also on understanding how you needed to basically change your organization to make sure that the two things came hand in hand. And um, for those of you listening in, and also you, Jakob, I don't know if you've ever heard about uh, this concept of Conway's law, but essentially this states that uh, teams tend to design software that resembles how their organizational structure looks like. So if you have been used to working in a way where it was very chopped down, very, you need everyone on board, uh, then the software will kind of reflect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, as you can imagine, if you try to break free from that, either by changing the people and the way you work or the technology, there'll be friction. That's sort right. of what yeah, of the course. Conway's law tells us. Okay. Yeah, I understand that completely. So, I really want to dig into kind of the how of this change, right? But I'm still in my mind at this beginning phase of we're thinking of initiating this whole change management process, you know, and I can see the potential pitfalls. I can see kind of the the challenge that we're looking at here, that there's not only the structure of the code, but the structure of the teams and both are kind of aligned and you'll be messing with both, right? If you're, uh, if you're thinking of introducing microservices. So the question that popped in my mind as I was thinking about it just now is what needs to be true about a change to make this whole effort worth it? You know, what, when you're thinking of, okay, maybe I should initiate this change management process, maybe I should hold off on this, how do you make that decision that actually we should shake things up and this is the time to do it? That's, I think that's where I would say, I've tried to sort of think about, you know, like what are the steps to, to be involved in terms of making a larger change? Um, mm-hmm. And what I've seen working is that there are basically five steps. And one of the first steps there being, and then we can probably dive into the other ones as we go along here. But one of the first things, as I said, is that um, for people to buy into your idea, you first have to set and communicate very clear goals, which means that precisely define and align what are the intended goals you want to achieve 
that should be aligned with the goals of your company. Mm -hmm. So that means, first of all, you know, you have to have a very well articulated case that demonstrates, you know, what you want to do, how you want to get there and have determination that you want to actually complete that. And that could be, for instance, you know, that maybe you want to improve your customer experience. Maybe you want to reduce the time to market, which is, by the way, one of the huge selling points of why you wanted to go into, you know, you know, maybe microservice being one of the, let's say, accelerators there. Um, but it could also be, your, you know, you want to make a more future-proof company in the longer run, right? Where, again, a technology change can also be a fuel there. The important bit is that once those goals are defined, and they align with what you want to do as a company, then they should clearly communicate that there is a need for change. If you mm -hmm. don't have that, it's the same as you don't have a business case. And then there is no and there is no intent for you to go ahead with doing anything, really. Okay. Yeah, I, I love that analogy because it really shows kind of the magnitude of the challenge and how important this first step is. It's almost as if you don't have a business case for a startup. I love the way you phrase that. So you mentioned, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking these short notes as I go, go along. I really want to refer back to what you said. You mentioned that, for example, this might be, you know, the goal in mind might be improving customer experience. It might be improving time to market. Both of these feel like business metrics that would speak to the highest level in terms of, yes, we want to improve that. That's kind of on our scoreboard, so to speak. Yeah. But the third thing you mentioned was being more future-proof. And I feel like that's a little bit harder to tie back to the business metrics that you mentioned before. So how would you explain future-proof to somebody who's maybe in the C-suite, maybe not technical, right, to still bring them on board with this change? So I think one of the things that I have least seen is a consequence of making a technology change like, again, this concept of moving into microservices is that first off, um, you have to keep an eye out for in the future, what can you basically hire for and what is the talent, let's say, what is the talent mass at that point? What are they looking at doing in their own career? And if mm -hmm. you are at a, at a certain level in your company where you're still stuck with the way of working that you used to do 10 years ago, then at a certain point in time, you can say the talent will be depleted um, or you have mm -hmm. to find somebody that you have to pay a lot more maybe to do something that they may not really want to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it could also be like technology changes can mean many different things, but it could also be, you know, like let's say that you work with a platform that is slowly getting deprecated and that platform has been scattered across every product you've ever built. Um, in a year from now, that platform will be deprecated. Then you need to make sure that you can quite well articulate this to senior management that while you have to deliver features, this is also a burning platform that you're standing on that unless you do something, then ultimately you will just not have anything you can sustain in the long run. Burning platform. I, I love that. The word platform gets used a lot. I feel like it's lost its punch, right? But when we call it a burning <laughs> platform, that puts a picture in my mind. It sure does. <laughs> it's like a raft where somebody is like uh, cutting the ropes, right? Eventually, it will just um, deteriorate yeah. as you as you sit on it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna fall apart right under our feet, and then the sharks are gonna eat us. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, you added that to that, but uh, <laughs> indeed. 
<laughs> just like sharks okay um i like that and, and i like i like it especially that it shows it's such an interconnected system you know you you say future proofing but it's also about talent retention at the end of the day because for example tech talent might want to work in a microservices kind of way and they don't want to join a monolithic organization that's kind of stuck in the past i, I didn't think of it that way so uh, I'm, I'm glad you added that here so you mentioned five steps. I love that. I love structure, obviously. We're going to get to step two next. But before that, I just wanted to ask one step, uh, one more question about kind of the nitty gritty of communicating this, uh, these goals. How exactly do you do it? Is it like a meeting, a speech? Is it a slide deck? Do you do it to the C-suite first or do you first talk with your immediate team? What can you tell me here from your experience? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things to it. So, I mean, well, if we start with the way I would recommend you roll this out, I would say you need to have a kickoff communication with senior management involved there because, I mean, their presence and their support means everything. If you don't have support mm -hmm. from top down, I think you can't do grassroots movements where you work your way up. But if you don't have support from top down, it's going to be a bit of an up, I mean, like an uphill climb, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. So, So I would definitely say that there has to be communication from top down that clearly explains the need for making this change. And then you need to provide an overview of how that adoption process uh, would look like and then place some emphasis, obviously, on what is the positive impact of making this change so that mm -hmm. everyone in the company will understand why we're doing this. Okay, it is to make our lives easier, not to make it more hard, or more difficult to work within. There is actually a mm -hmm. point to it. And I would say, I would say the way that depending on who does this originally, let's say that you are sitting a bit, let's say lower than obviously being in C-suite and you need to convince C-suite that what you have here is a really good idea, you can still do that. And then I think what you do have to do there is instead do a bit of um, crawling around your network inside uh, your company, um, starting off with, you know, like pitching the ideas to close peers, getting feedback seeing if there is, you know, like any grounds for further advancements. If there is, try and get, you know, always get support from your manager and make sure that the manager is also championing your idea across the board. Um, right. And if it's a healthy organization you're part of, eventually this will spin up to the higher powers. And then if you made a good enough business case, it should be pretty obvious that, you know, this, this, this is a win for the company. Okay, so for what I've heard thus far, it's important to get your kind of immediate manager involved. It's important to get feedback from your peers. Uh, you know, on the one hand, it allows them to challenge it. It also allows them to feel like it's more collaborative, right? Not just, you know, you came with this idea. And then after that, it seems important to start talking with a C-suite that I kind of get that right. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, it's definitely also, I mean, like like one thing you mentioned there, I think is, is super important to emphasize is this engaging everyone in the decision-making process because mm -hmm. being transparent about what you're doing, getting people's feedback, making sure that they can even contribute to that change maybe themselves is actually a really good way to make sure that by incorporating their feedback, you also start to somehow get them to get more ownership early on and then what i've seen then is that this is a huge catalyst for then making sure that they will help you later on uh, drive the adoption and that's that's very important because again 
a change is not something you do on your own. This is a hugely collective effort that you want as many individuals involved in who can make sure that, you know, what you want to do can be carried along and then supported across the board. Right. Very, very interesting. This is this is actually bringing to mind even some of my own projects where I think I could use a little bit more of this collaborative approach. But never mind. I'll do that after the call. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> so let's say that was kind of step one out of five. Right. Being mindful of the time, we should probably move to the uh, to the second step. So step one was I got it noted down as set and communicate clear goals. And I should say. Watchers and listeners, if you have questions about step one or stage one, whatever, uh, ask them, okay? Just go ahead and ask them any kind of more nitty gritty details that you might out of Soren, go ahead, don't hesitate. Meanwhile, we're gonna move on just to try and cover all of the material. So if step one of this change is to set and communicate clear goals, what is step two? The next step is to get a team in order who will be in charge of leading the change. Um, and that is important because what you want to do is really assemble a, you can kind of call it like a change management team. I would not call it that obviously, but that's just for the sake of at least conceptually understanding what this team is supposed to do. Uh, who will have the right combination of both skills and personalities and also influence inside your company. Um, and this is where you would tap into those who really, you know, like have those leadership skills needed um, understand and can support the need for that change so that would probably also be the per the people that you have sort of lobbied your idea to early on and other uh influential people inside the company um and they should also be in a position to actually be able to relate to that change and then reassure others that this is a change that has to happen um and then by spreading this by having this team and then by spreading this team out um then you will ultimately get to a point where you will have horizontally responsibilities across the different departments that are connected to this change. Okay. You'll keep them engaged, you'll keep them productive. And then by having this team, um, they will also be the ones who can then take the initial heat when it comes to changing in the situations that, you know, is coming from whenever you do a change. Um, they are willing to learn from setbacks, something that obviously we should all always be, um, but they are particularly somebody who's very used to and keen on doing that. And then obviously also adjusting to those changes, um, mm -hmm. because again, we are working here with people, processes, take all together. Um, so yeah, you, you need to keep a lot of balls up in the air. <laughs> the, the part that I particularly like about it is to spread the, the work of taking the heat here. <laughs> it's like there's going to be resistance. It should not fall all on one person because it's easy to get discouraged that way. You, you need a team that will handle it. Absolutely. I mean, and I think we, we all see that every day, right? No matter if it's change, it's, it's a bigger change or not. You're just somebody that you can go back to, you know, uses a soundboard, uh, you know, you know, echo out different things into a, into a smaller group and then learn from, well, how does this change came across here versus here? What can we learn? Why did this work well here and not so much here? What do we need to change? So I think it's really important. And also because they will ultimately be the ones who keep the fire lit uh, throughout mm -hmm. the entire journey, if you will, right? That's the sole responsibility of this team as well. Exactly. Okay. Well, I love that as a general point, but now I'm going to ask a few nitty gritty questions here as well. Tell me about the composition of this team. 
what kind of levels, what kind of, you know, departments, generally speaking, like we mentioned, every organization is different. But, you know, when you envision this team, who might be on there? You know, how big is the team even? Uh, let's start with there. Yeah, so I think what I've what I've seen working in the past is that um, I would typically have, you know, a team of, well, well, no more than 10 people because that's also getting too big. So I would probably say something, mm -hmm. maybe half of that, uh, somewhat around those lines, you know, depending on how many departments you want to have. But normally I would say, because I tend to say when you also do this, you would also have cross-team collaboration, even cross-department collaboration. So I would involve, obviously, your own engineering, product management, uh, support, marketing, uh, you know, commercial folks, what have you. Um, then get representatives in there who are both, you know, uh, looking after the people side interests who can understand how this change impacts the actual, let's say, more emotional side of people's mind. You would also want to have somebody who can understand what does this have of an impact on the way we are doing our work, somebody who's a bit more process oriented. Uh, and then you also want to have somebody who can understand what this means from a technology change perspective in case something is both working and not working. Um, and you would want to have somebody who is obviously, I would not say it's not because you need to have your most senior people, but you need to have somebody who is at least, you know, well enough mature in their ways of working and thinking so that they can cope with this environment. Um, mm -hmm. Meaning that you need to be able to take a lot of heat as a shield from a lot of incoming directions. You need to be able to have a voice so you can come out and actually communicate with people. So probably you don't want to take your most junior people because that will probably not be a very um, right. fun exercise for them. Um, but I would say some level of seniority, but you don't need to have the full calorie rolling in uh, with your most senior people not doing anything but this. I mean, you can also have people who are maybe, let's say, younger in their career, but knows enough about or has the charisma or something like that to be able to work their way through this. Um, obviously have a diversion in, you know, like age, for instance, because again, people who are a bit older uh, than maybe the young generations have different ways of viewing things. And at the end of the day, we all have to come to a compromise here. Um, mm -hmm. so, so to try and get a, a really diverse group, I would say. Very interesting. So you mentioned one type of person that might be on the team. You mentioned involving different departments. And I wanted to initially latch on to marketing, but that would be too obvious. Let's say support. Somebody from you know customer support might be on there. How do you get that person to buy in to what you're doing there? That you know, I, I imagine they might be thinking like, okay, engineering is trying to make this change. The code is going to be different. Their teams are going to be different. Why would I sit on those meetings? Why would I kind of champion this change? Why should I care? From the perspective of let's say customer support here. Yeah, that's a good question. So, like I said, I mean, like again with the good example of the microservice change, if you will, then. Mm -hmm. This is basically something that re-engineers every process because the product is so radically different um, than what they were used to do. So from their end, um, I would say something that that I would say to them is that, well, this new way of working actually means for you that we can quickly pinpoint where the issues are. Um, mm -hmm. We can quicker resolve them. But in order for you to kind of get that benefit, 
you have to be part of making a change in the way that you are registering tickets, understanding where in the system we have the, the let's say, the different products living, because maybe for you in the past, it was just one big surface where you said, uh -huh. like, there's a problem in this like top, top right corner at the screen. Now we have a hugely distributed system. So now you need to know a bit more about, like, what are the incoming, um, you know, where does the clicks end up in the system? Who do you need to, to connect to? Um, and how do we quickly resolve issues when they actually arise? Um, okay. So what this change, changes in their work, for example, is when they report something, they need to be more precise about who they are reporting it uh, to. So it lands in the right place because it's more, I don't want to say fragmented, but maybe more specialized units are involved in this microservices example. Yeah. And I mean, that's obviously one of the, it's both a, benefit and, a, and and maybe also a bit of a disadvantage in the sense that it, it does impose a little bit more overhead to understand where should a ticket land up in the end of the day. But I think, you know, having that close collaboration with yeah. that overarching, let's say, business domain you work within, it obviously also makes sure that you stay way more connected to everyone involved in making sure that the product being shipped and then supported and all of that is actually well connected, right? Um, yeah. that's why it's important for them to be mm -hmm. very close to the people they work with on a daily basis. Exactly. Because, and you put it all in the context of actually you started with a benefit for them, right? And when you report something, it's going to get fixed faster. I feel like that that is kind of crucial here to, to lead with the benefit for them and then explain, but the trade-off is going to be, you know, this. So I think you answered that question beautifully, actually. And the next thing I wanted to ask about before we move on to step three is how do you structure the work of this team? You know, the thing that comes to my mind, but maybe that's kind of a habit that I've got is like weekly calls, you know, check in about the status here, maybe start up a new board on your favorite project management software, uh, how to track that work. But is there anything specific maybe due to, to the kind of cross-functional nature of this team that would make the management of this project a little bit different? How, how do you structure the work here? No, I think what you what you mentioned there is, is all good suggestions on how to do it, basically. I mean, I would definitely, what I've seen working quite well and, and what I'm also doing today, actually, uh, with my uh, cross-peers is that, I mean, like we have a weekly meeting where we discuss, you know, like what are key initiatives that we're all working on um figuring out you know like are there any bloggers that we need to solve in our respective departments um mm -hmm. how do we kind of make sure everyone is moving in the same direction and then we have uh, a general let's say backlog that we all work on uh that is let's say more high level and then on my end then of course i mean like to my managers then it becomes a little bit more obviously concrete and then even more concrete when it comes down into the individual teams um okay. so there is a, a nice synergy across the board um, but but yeah, I think both is definitely needed, both to make sure that we have everything captured in writing in case somebody isn't able to attend, and especially these days where there's so much work that is async and we're not always on at the same point in time. Um, but yeah. I think having that weekly sync, no matter if you then do it async or in sync in person, I think is hugely important just to make sure that there is a, a check-in point, if you will. Right. Okay. Oh, okay, cool. So I'm glad that that kind of aligns here and I can certainly visualize it. There's a meeting, there's a backlog. I think that's nice and concrete and, you know, actionable for the people watching and listening. I will say again, any questions about this, ask them. We're going to move on to step three in the process. So if one is setting and communicating goals, the second one is creating a team in charge of making this change. What is step three, Soren? Got it. 
So the third step is, um, is, is, is sort of the approach of how you, you then attack this, if you will. Um, and I call this like favoring an iterative approach with fast feedback loops. Um, and the idea here is really to favor the iterative process because it prioritizes generating value, gathering feedback, and then allow you to make adjustments in smaller steps uh, in order to deliver the desired result. So put it in a different way, don't try and do everything at once. Um, okay. Because if you end up doing that, there is a high chance that you're basically going to going to fail. Um, too big of a scope, too many things up in the air, it will basically just wear out people at the end. So what I've seen work pretty well is, uh, is taking a bit of a, an MVP approach where mm -hmm. you're basically taking a very small thing that you want to test out as an idea, small risks associated, and then you basically start to optimize around that idea. If it's a success, you continue evolving on it. If not, you discard it, and then, you know, you kind of rinse repeat. And the benefit here is really that, you know, um, as you experience these quick wins with minimum investment, in turn, you also enhance the desire or fuel even the desire for having additional changes. Because this is again a bit of this, like what you can kind of call like psychologically how we are wired as, as humans. Because you know, when something feels good, you want to get you want to continue doing that. On the contrary, yeah. something that is like hard or annoying to do, you want to avoid it, right? So that's right, like yeah. having these constant small like notches that this this is a good way of, of moving forward. Is definitely um, is definitely a really good way of, of of introducing a change. At least what I've seen. So I'm curious about one thing here. I can imagine making. I'm going back to the example of microservices. I feel like that's constantly in the background here. I can imagine you might take a part of the code base and you know make it more microservices based because code is pretty malleable. You know, if mm. you will. it's it's easy to change. But can you do the same with an organization of people? Can you test a change where it's like, okay, for you know, a few months, actually, we're reorganizing the teams and they're going to be structured in this way. And if it doesn't work, we go back. Is that something that could actually be done? That's something that you've tried? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You can. I mean, um, it's very much the same. I think I should probably have mentioned that this iterator approach goes for both um, product and people, if you will. Um, okay. The, the the trick is to start small and then grow. And then, mm -hmm. especially, like you say, can you do this with, you know, a process of we're working, stuff like that? Absolutely. I mean, um, you probably want to take maybe something, I do want to change, you know, like maybe, maybe something fundamental and then go back to some of the basics around, you're like, how do you do, how do you manage your project? How do you ship your code? How do you do this? How do you review your code or whatever? And then you focus on small individual bits and pieces. And then you make a change gradually one by one. Of course, mm -hmm. when you do that, you really need to make sure that you can both measure, capture and measure the success of a change. Because if you cannot measure it, you cannot really see if it has a, a positive effect or not. So that's mm -hmm. something you should do. But this is something you can definitely do. And you can even do that if you have, you know, like like you say, like a spin-off team you do that sits on the sides of the mothership, if you will. Uh -huh, yeah. this, team, this team is actually some, then, I mean, you can definitely do this. You just obviously need to make sure that you create the right boundaries between the new piece you do and the old piece you had. The benefit of doing this 
to maybe add to that is that when you get successes like this, and this is especially true when you make a change in the process or, you know, like the work that people are carrying out or the way they're doing it, like I said, the process, this is a really good showcase that you can use to walk around to other teams saying, look, we said we wanted to do this. We actually managed to do this. This is way better than what we did and we can prove it. And then you have the support of the people that actually did it. So this is not you coming and saying, in theory, I think this would be better. You actually have the people who are now being, you know, like the subject to what you wanted to do, who are coming out saying, this is way better. We should all be doing this. Right. Because instead of just the change management team kind of across the organization, you've also got this, for example, new unit that you tested this on and they say, hey, this this works. So now you've got a few more people kind of on board the change. I can see how the snowball gets rolling. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that, that's really cool. Okay, I'm trying to fit all of the five steps in the time that we've got here. And we've only got like 10 minutes to go, which is <laughs> in itself kind of, I'm always so surprised by the time. Let's go to step four right away. Uh, we had this iterative approach with fast feedback loops. How about step number four? What's what's next? Got it. So step four is plan for resistance because overcoming resistance is is absolutely key. And believe me, it will happen. I mean, there is no dispute, it will happen. Um, and if we focus only on for today's maybe session on what can happen internally, because there's obviously also external factors to take into account with, you know, yeah, customers and all of that. But if we only look at the folks that we have internally, I would say that, um, what I would focus on here to really make sure would, would ensure that you get internal adoption when you make a change would be, um, a couple of different things. So it would be. Make sure that you upskill and reskill employees. So that would be creating a knowledge base and training videos, hosting enough meetings to really make sure that people understand why and why are we doing this. Um, mm-hmm. And again, make sure that there is, you know, a way for them to see that they can actually get on board with what you want them to do. Um, you prep them for that. You support them in that endeavor is super important, and that goes for both whether or not you're an you're an IC or you're a manager. Um, because everyone is being part of that change transformation. Um, the other thing you can do here is reward uh, adopters who are who are sort of supporting your course. Um, and there are many different ways you can do that. I mean, like you can use gamification. That's a huge motivational factor for most people. I think, you know, um, we recently had to look into, you know, like um, improving some of our, you know, our production readiness. Then, I mean, like we were evaluating different things. And again, like if you make a bit of a game of this in terms of, you know, like like scorecards and how well your systems are, you know, like behaving, where you have gaps, looking at other people, like becomes a bit of a, you know, like I want to get these achievements. Um, yeah. That's something that really, you know, like I think we're all victim of that in one way or the other, right? So I think that's something that I really recommend. Um, of course, I mean, there are the obvious things like, you know, um, you know, you can turn into compensation, you can turn into company perks. I mean, like, there are different ways you can kind of go about that. But I think, you know, like one thing that is definitely free is the uh, gamification part. And that's uh, quite effective. Um, the other thing is that it's super important to treat this adoption as an ongoing basis. It doesn't start and stop with the fact that you've sort of announced there is a kickoff now we will do this and then we go back into our chairs and then that's that's like the end of the, the day and then everyone is happy. Yeah. Um, it's super important that you keep emphasizing and communicate the change, where we're at, what have we done, celebrate successes. 
um, and make sure that you train people in what they need to be trained in and make sure that you encourage everyone to take part of the discussion and that everything is very transparent. Again, as I said, fourth point also here being inclusive decision-making, making sure everyone feels like their opinion is being heard, although they might not always be you know, um, the person who takes the decision. At least if people, they feel that they are contributing to it, it's going to be such a better success for everyone. Um, uh, this brings to my mind a phrase that I heard uh, recently that you should not aim for consensus, but at least for consent out of the people who, you know, who might not be entirely yeah. on board with the change, but at least they consent to it. On the subject of gamification, what I like about that when I envision it is that it forces you also to be really concrete about you know the goals here. It's like you can have a vision of like we're adopting microservices or or you know Redis. I think you mentioned here that might be an example, right? Uh, that it was Redis. Did I did I get that right? I think we may we may have talked about it as well, but yeah. Okay, uh, you know, whichever change it is, if you make it like a checklist of, okay, you need to you know, fulfill this and this and this to get that badge, it forces you to think, okay, what actually does, what does this change look like when it's done, right, for each individual person? I feel like that's hugely beneficial all around, at least when I you know, envision it. Exactly. Um, right, so I suppose that leaves us with just a little bit of time to talk about that last step, and then we'll be saying our goodbyes. I, I, I don't know. Uh, let, let's <laughs> go into so fast. It does. Um, it really does. Okay, let's finish the structure. So we've let's got, finish we the structure. all of these four steps. How about step number five? Yeah, last one is ensuring continuous improvement. So I would say successful change management really requires an ongoing commitment to make continuous improvement. Um, no doubt about that. Um, and this is required until the very end where you can sort of see the desired results achieved. Um, and again, this is where the MVP approach is a perfectly well-suited um, process uh, for this to happen. Um, and like I said, I mean, um, I would never recommend setting out to do to redo your entire, let's say, product um, all at once. Um, that's, that's virtually dooming you from day one. Then instead, take this continuous improvement approach and then iterate and keep iterating until you get to the point where you need to be, because that's really what is giving you minimal disruption. And this goes both in hand with the, the technology, but also with the, um, yeah, with the organizational people side, really. Um, and make sure you learn from your mistakes. I mean, that's really also what, what is supposed to be sort of mentioned here is that a lot of what you're doing when you're doing a change management effort is also you're doing a lot of experimentation that should be understood and appreciated from all levels in the company. And, you know, uh, everyone should allow and encourage you to occasionally make uh, make mistakes. And when that happens, mm -hmm. we're all here to support you and help pick you up again, right? And then learn from that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, yeah. I, and I suppose I'm kind of trying to put this together in my head, this continuous improvement. This isn't just, you know, as the change is happening, but you're kind of recognizing that the change, even, you know, maintaining the new equilibrium is going to be work in itself i suppose it's like this step never really ends does it no 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 it's it's a it's it's a yeah it's an ongoing effort i would say okay yeah yeah i, I, I like that a lot and i think it, continuous improvement in general is something that really often shows up on, on tech leaders hat. that and feedback loops i feel like is if I were to point these these two threads out that's something that tech leaders should really keep in mind because a lot of the guests seem to mention it Anyway, um, so we're kind of closing to the end of our time. I don't want to go too, too over time. So 
Watchers and listeners, this is the last call for a question. I can take one question if you submit it very, very soon. Otherwise, Soren, I wanted to ask you, is there anything else for this change management process that you think that was the one thing that really made the difference, that made everything easier? If you were to point out to kind of one thing that really made this process kind of smoother that you would like our watchers and listeners to remember, what would that be? I think for you personally, if you're in charge of doing a change management, keep in mind that, you know, um, you will never be able to satisfy everyone and um, make make your peace with that. Because at the end of the day, if you can get consent, but not consensus, as you said, then you're a long way along making a positive change. Um, you will never get everyone on board. But um, so don't try and try and aim for that. Amazing. I like that. That really ties a bow on the on the whole conversation. Uh, very well. Then. <laughs> Thank you for, for, for sharing all of that. I'm really glad we managed to kind of fit it within the, the time. I should start making these longer. Never mind. Um, so, so I feel like that was really, you know, you took us through the whole process here of this uh, change uh, management effort. I hugely appreciate that. And I hugely appreciate having you on the show. Uh, at the end, uh, what we like to do is to give you a little bit of an opportunity to talk about kind of your own things, your own announcements. Do you have anything that our audience uh, should know about? Do you want them to do something? Are you hiring? Should they follow you on LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok maybe? Uh, <laughs> what should the thing be that our watchers and listeners should do? <laughs> no, and, and thank you too for having me. I mean, it's been it's been it's been a pleasure. So really appreciate that as well. Um, no, I think, I mean, I would encourage everyone if they are interested having any follow-up questions, if you're tuning in later, I mean, feel free to reach out on, yeah, I mean, LinkedIn, uh, shoot me an email, whatever is uh, is your way of communicating. Uh, be happy to discuss this, uh, share my experiences, be a soundboard if needed. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, other ongoing activities, then, I mean, of course, uh, we obviously also... Um, uh, growing as a company and i would always encourage people if you are if you are interested in working within you know um technologies inside the entertainment uh industry and uh, music in particular um keep an eye out for our career website also on linkedin.com slash careers um and shoot me a message if you have any questions about anything you see or you know uh, don't quite see anything that matches what you want to do always feel free to uh, to shoot me a, a message yeah, exactly. Definitely follow Soren on LinkedIn, follow Linkfire on LinkedIn and check out their uh, careers and follow them. They're a cool company to follow in my <laughs> opinion. On the other hand, some people might be meeting SDX Next for the first time through the stream. If so, very happy to meet you all. Uh, SDX Next is the company that brings you Tech Leaders Hub. And what we would like you to remember about us is that we are Europe's largest software development company that specializes in Python. If you're building a Python-based product and you would like to boost your efforts with Python developers, JavaScript developers for the front end, machine learning, DevOps, but also designers, testers, we can help with all of that. And it's not just providing you know, additional, how should I say this? additional resources, but also you know, consulting, helping you find the best practices and helping you build faster, avoid the common pitfalls. Uh, if you need any of that, stxnext.com is where you can read a lot more about it and a lot more eloquent, <laughs> a lot more eloquently put. Meanwhile, for more Tech Leaders Hub, just go to techleadershub.com 
and you can sign up for a newsletter there. You will be informed by email about all upcoming sessions. Just at the beginning of this week, we put out an email that we're going to have three Tech Leaders Hub sessions uh, this week. Uh, so definitely tune in tomorrow too uh, for our session where, with uh, Anders Kring from Lunar. Uh, you can find that when you go to SDX Next on LinkedIn, on our company page, the, all of these sessions are kind of listed there in our events section. So do any of those. SDXnext.com, techleadershub.com, SDXnext on LinkedIn, any of those will make me very, very happy. Me, I should say us at SDXnext. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, that's it for, for Tech Leaders Hub for today. The hour really flew by, but Soren, thank you again uh, for being uh, such a gracious guest. And I really do hope we're going to get uh, to have a conversation you know, soon in the future again for some uh, other uh, occasion. It was great. Any kind of Final thoughts for our audience before I click and broadcast? No, I think I think uh, it's a good note to end on. <laughs> awesome. All right, everybody, enjoy your day and see you tomorrow <laughs> for more Tech Leaders Hub. So glad to be able to say that. Yep, till then, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tech Leaders Hub. If you want more advice that will make you a better technical leader, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Tech Leaders Hub sessions are usually streamed live, giving you the opportunity to get answers to your burning questions directly from our guests. To take part in Tech Leaders Hub Live, follow STX Next on LinkedIn and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. That's S-T-X-N-E-X-T. Last but not least, we invite you to join our community and continue the discussion on Facebook. Just search for Tech Leaders Hub and you'll find our dedicated Facebook group. Once again, thanks for listening. Really glad you could join us. Hope we'll see you in the next one.